All right, turn with me to, to Romans chapter 6. We are continuing in a letter uh, that is uh, truly uh, um, kind of the epistle of grace, where we understand our, our sinful condition, where we understand God's glorious posture to rescue humanity, that his, uh, his, his passion is to impute his, his righteousness to us so that we might stand before him. We, have, we might have peace with God that we might be able to walk into his throne room and know that we are heard, know that, uh, that, uh, that God longs to, to, uh, to do his glorious work in and through our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Trevor to come, and uh, we're going to read through this passage. We're in uh, Romans chapter 6, um, and we're going to pick up in verse 15. But, but just in, in, uh, in, in respect for God's word, we're going to ask that you stand this morning as we, uh, as we read this passage. Starts in verse 15. It says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin... You are free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Trevor. The Word of God for the people of God. Man, we used to do that when I was growing up, man. So thankful for God's Word. Um, you know, one of the things I want to say this morning is I, I get really, once I come to the point of, of, uh, of God just kind of revealing the truth of the passage to me, man, it just stirs excitement and enthusiasm in me and in my heart. Hi, Kathy. It's good to see you. Um, and, uh, and, but then, like, just the, the understanding of how how profound God's word is, that it literally can move us. It can purchase us. The gospel can move us from death to life. It, it, it can, if we understand with the help of the Holy Spirit, if we understand the gospel and we understand what we've been purchased from and to, man, it can, it can liberate our lives and then we become instruments of freedom in other people's lives. And so the gravity of that always kind of grips my heart as I think about, man, listen, I mean, this is, this is God's word. And this has the, the, this is the power to transform our lives, to, to cause us to come to life, like to be born again, to become a new creation. So I hope that your spiritual ears are on this morning. I hope that your posture is I'm hungering and thirsting for truth and righteousness. That, uh, that, that, that Lord, please teach me. Holy Spirit, find a submitted heart in me. Find a yielded person that longs for your word to be written on my heart. I hope that's your posture here this morning. Because the truth of this passage can revolutionize the way that we live as it relates to um, understanding that we're going to be slaves to something. 
We're going to worship something. We're going to seek something in life. And God says, seek me and I will sanctify you. I will, I will give you life, life to the full. And the enemy who we're born in under, under his dominion, uh, is always in the posture of steal, kill, and destroy. He's always looking to steal and to devour our lives, as First Peter says. And, uh, and we must understand that we're going to serve a master. And God says, trust me, my, my sovereign care, my, he's the good shepherd that leads us into green pastures and by still waters. He guards and protects. He leads us into uh, a life that's filled with fruit that looks like love, joy, peace, patience. Kind. This is God's heart for us. And, uh, and we have a part to play in that, in that we submit to his sovereign reign. We declare him at, at our, at our point of, of, of being born again. We declare him Lord. What does that mean? That means you get to call the shots. You're master. We're, we're acknowledging the fact, the reality that you are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And, uh, and, and I long for that reality, that, 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 um, that reign to be, to be the reality of my life and to speak over, um, everything that I, that I think and do and how I react. Um, so let's dive into this passage. Um, one of the things I want to do is I want to give a little bit of a backdrop. So we see that Jesus, uh, really, uh, had a lot to say about this piece. And you, if you remember in, um, in Matthew chapter four, uh, also in Luke chapter four, um, Jesus was baptized earlier and he is led by the Holy Spirit says immediately into the desert where he would be tempted that he wouldn't eat. Uh, he would fast for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that experience, the enemy comes and he begins to tempt him. And in one of those temptations, this is what is, uh, is spoken and listen to what, what it says. Uh, verse eight and we'll go through verse 10 in chapter four of Matthew. Again, the devil took him to a very high place or a high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Okay, so one of the things we understand is in the garden, uh, we were given the, the, the rule over creation, and in, in the fall, we, we basically turned that, that's what the enemy was up to, we turned that rule over to him, and so he has, he's the prince of the air, he has, he has dominion. He was offering this, uh, in a deceptive way to Jesus, if he would fall down and worship him, and Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Uh, for it is written. You notice one of the things we got, you know, just a sidelight here is that he always uses the word as the sword of the spirit. He always uses the word to fight the enemy. And it's a, it's a, it's a ideal example to us as he, as he always is of how we battle in the spiritual realm is God's word is the sword of the spirit as we see in Ephesians six. Um, but he says this, this is the interesting part. You shall worship. He calls a passage up and he says, reference God's word, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you what? Serve. Like him only is worthy of being our master. Like this is what God's, God has called us to see ourselves in relationship. And one of the facets of, of how he portrays himself to us as father and friend and, and, and husband and in the most perfect and the most the most, the most beautiful way, but in another facet, he helps us to understand that, that he is master and he is so worthy of that, of that office, of that, of that, of that role. And so it puts us, uh, in the most ideal perspective when we understand that it's our joy, as this passage talks about, to be a slave to God. It's our joy. 
Because what that does is in that, because he is, because his character and nature is, is, is so perfect and so loving and so grace filled and so kind is what he's doing is he's forming himself in us as we submit to him as his servants. Um, in Matthew 26, excuse me, Matthew 6, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus unpacks this again uh, in, this, uh, in this message that he's giving on the side in Galilee, on the, on the mountainside. He says this, No one can serve two masters, you will, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, and the Greek there is mammon, which means the God of money. And so what we have to understand is when, it, when we boil it down, there really is two masters. There's the world, the enemy, that, the, the same thing, and then there's God. And God is looking to create us and form us and fashion us into his very image. And, and the enemy is looking to destroy us. And these are, these are established objectives. These are, these, the scriptures are very clear about these things. And where what we seek, what we submit to, what we yield our lives to, what we worship, what we offer our lives to, is what is going to it's going to it's going to it's going to conform us, it's going to transform us. And so we're called throughout the scriptures to submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ, to the sovereignty of God, knowing that His heart is always to. Um, to make us into his image. Jesus, um, Jesus, we, we see in Philippians 2 where, um, you know, G- God himself took on flesh and uh, humbled himself even unto death for us. Um, and so we see this posture of humility. Uh, it's described in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And it says, For even the Son of Man did not come or, or came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the, the, the one that probably would have been worthy to be served, to be born in a palace, was, was born in a stable, was, was put in a manger, and, uh, and his objective, his purpose, was to come and serve so that we might be saved. And so what, what, we, uh, what we see is that, that from Jesus' perspective, and he talked about this with his disciples when they were endeavoring to, be, to, to, to pursue greatness, he said to them, if you want to be the greatest of all, become a servant. He unpacked that for them as he washed their feet and showed them that, that real greatness serves. And, and, a, and, and, and what do you serve? We serve God, but the expression of that service often gets realized by others. We, we, we love God and, you know, he says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto, I mean, God, God desires that we love others, but we're doing it in, in submission to, to the most glorious master that we could ever possibly serve. And this is the God of the universe that's purposed us in a relationship with him. And then some interesting passages. Many of us know John 8 from verses 31, 32, for the, the truth shall set you you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, and later on in that passage, after this dialogue happens between Jesus and some of the Jews there, you know, discussing the fact that, oh, we're children of Abraham. We're good. Um, Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week and how, how sin from our conception, from our birth, that we're born into a natural circumstance where we're, we're, uh, we're under the tyranny, we're under the reign and rule of sin, and that is our default. And that default leads to the wages of sin is to death. 
death. And it's not even, it's not just spiritual death. We experience, we taste the destruction and the death that we experience in the moments where, where we sin. We feel the shame, the guilt. We feel, uh, the betrayal. We feel the emptiness. Um, but Jesus later on goes on to say in verse 36 in that same passage in John 8, he says, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So last week we talked about that. That's exactly what Christ has done for us is we are unified with him in, uh, in his death, burial and, and resurrection through our baptism uh, as we uh, as the spiritual reality of, of what God has done for us in Christ um, becomes a, a present reality in our life. We realize that sin no longer has tyranny over our life. We're no longer trapped by sin's dominion and sin's rule. And now we're, we're liberated. We're freed for joyful obedience to Christ and joyful obedience that we can now, as the passage we're talking about today says, we can be slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness, which leads to eternal life. I mean, guys, you know, like if you get nothing out of this morning, just, just remember, we're going to serve something or someone. And God is so worthy to be served. Like, let it not be heaven before that becomes like a very strong reality in our life. That we understand that God is so worthy to, to, for the life that he's given us, for us to lay it down uh, for, for his glory so that he might be seen. And then uh, came across this passage this week. And man, does this not kind of help us understand the backdrop for this passage. Second Peter 2.19, the second part of that verse says, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Man, my prayer is that we'd be overcome by the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. That we would be so overshadowed by his presence and his power that to that, to that, I, I mean, that's the most joyful enslavement that we could possibly hope for is to be, to be a bond servant to, to the great and glorious God that looks to fashion us in his very image. So we begin in verse 14 and 15. It says this, for sin will have no dominion. Uh, in fact, backing up to verse 14 so that we understand the context. For sin will have no dominion over you. What that means is will not be your master. Since you are not under law, but under grace. That's where we left off last week. And so the obvious question that Paul presents is this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. And this is not the same question that's asked in verse 1. Because basically what he's asking here is, if we are not under law, does that mean that we can live any way we choose? And Paul is saying, no way. No way. When he, when he talks in this passage about being a slave to obedience, it means rather than being a slave to temptation and sin and giving in to the very things that are going to cause death to us, understanding that from the principle that if I choose this, this is going to destroy me. Like we, we understand that, you know, whatever a man sows, he reaps. Uh, God's not going to be mocked. We understand that there's this principle and we don't often see the fruit when we're planting that seed, when we're making that choice. But God has revealed to us that, that if we, if we, if we're slave to obedience to, and obedience to what? To his word, to his will, that those things will manifest themselves in righteousness. The fruit of righteousness, right, will be ours. Uh, because, because, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, what is it that the Spirit is doing? The Spirit is compelling and drawing us and, and empowering us to make godly choices, to, to, to be obedient. 
Uh, John chapter 14, verse 21 says, that's how we declare our love for him is being obedient to his word. That's how in John 15, that's how we abide in him is by abiding in his word. And that means walking in it, staying in it, living in it. Um, and so that's what the question is being answered. So my, my question is why? Why? Why would we by no means um, be under law, but, uh, but, but be under grace? You know, why, why would we possibly, as verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Be- why? Because we have a different motivation. See, the Holy Spirit nurtures or cultivates in us a, a desire for holy living. The cross declares that we are loved and that our lives are a small sacrifice compared to the grace that we've been given. So our different motivation is this. It's gratitude and love. See, when, when we really understand like the depth of our depravity, when we, when we understand what we were purchased from and to, what God did for us in Christ, when we really, when we really understand that the wages of sin is death, like eternal separation from God and that it has, it has expression in this life as, well, as much as God's spirit indwelling us and the believer having the newness of life uh, starting to, to, to resound in our hearts and lives even now. Like when we get that, man, our hearts are filled, like in a more increasing way, is filled with gratitude and a deep sense of love uh, for the Lord. And that's the great motivator that leads us to obedience. Does that make sense? Because it's not about doing it out of duty. You know, God loves a cheerful giver, so not reluctantly or under compulsion. This isn't what God's up to. It's we don't obey God's word because we have to. We, 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 we obey God's word because we get to. And when we understand that for, for what we've been spared and, what, and that Christ literally, really, literally took our punishment, like suffered our, our, the death that was due us, and we understand like what our what our what we were headed to and the, the destruction that not only was going to be a part of our life, but the trail of destruction that we were going to leave as a legacy because of the, 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 the tyranny of sin that was over our lives. And now we've been freed from that. We no longer we don't have to choose. You know, one of the things that, that, that as I pondered this passage this week is that so often we come into temptation and, and we feel so dirty in the moment as if like, but what wasn't Jesus tempted? Right? Yet, yet without sin. But, but temptation, though it's a, it's an opportunity to fail, do you know that it's always, it's, it's also an opportunity to, to grow in a love and knowledge of God. It's also an opportunity to be sanctified. It's all, it's, it's also an opportunity for the, for the Spirit as we seek and endeavor to, to, uh, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, God is faithful. He'll always provide a way out. We're never, we're never trapped in the moment of temptation. But we, we must see that temptation is also an opportunity to glorify God, to lean into the Spirit and to tap into the power that's been, that's been, that's been planted in us in order to, for God's Spirit to continue to sanctify us. That's the freedom we've been given. And that's the power that's been instilled in us. So before it was just like, Temptation, sin, sin, path of a legacy of destruction, brokenness, emptiness, shame, guilt. All this stuff was, was just a, a part of our, our, our default of, of who we were. But, but God has liberated us in Christ for joyful obedience. And now to serve him with a, with a joyful heart is our privilege. We have the freedom. We actually see that sin is sin. And, and because we do, we go, I don't want anything to do with that because I know what that, I know the fruit of that. 
I know that in this moment, this might feel good for a second. It's like food passing over your tongue. You know, that dessert tastes good in what? You know, but or whatever it is, you know, what, 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 something you look at, something you listen to, something you partake in. Man, you're planting a seed that has has destructive implications. And when we understand that and we but we also understand that God wants to sanctify us in this moment. And what I mean by that, God wants to make us holy. He wants to make us like him. Be perfect as your heavenly father. Be holy as your heavenly father is holy. We can't do that. But God's spirit longs to do that through us. And that's a glorious, glorious thing. Also, being saved does not mean, does not mean that you no longer have, uh, have a master. Because sometimes we think that, oh, now I get to, that's kind of what the question is, is, is being put forward in verse 15. It doesn't mean that we don't have a master. And, and you can neither be a slave to sin or a servant to God, but you cannot be neither or both. I'll say that again. Okay, I'll say that again because it's important. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to God, but but cannot be neither or both. Because, you know, in chapter 3 of Revelations, it says, be, be, be cold or be hot, but don't be lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Right? I mean, like, like we can't, we, we don't get liberated to, to self-governing rule over our lives. We get liberated to the lordship of God. And trust me, you want that. You want his reign over your life. You want his power to move you to, uh, to godliness. You want him to sanctify you. You want, man, I remember, I, I probably prayed this prayer a hundred times. That's, that's conservative. I said, Lord, I want to be your puppet. I want to be your robot. I don't want to have a will. I just want your will. Please rid me of my own desires. I want your desires. I want you to be the one that dictates every move that I make because I make bad choices. Man, and this is what the Spirit's up to in our life. He's, he's longing to sanctify us through and through. He's longing to plant the good seed that yields a harvest of righteousness. Like that's what he's up to. And when we submit to that and see like in those moments where we could fail, we, we also realize that God could be successful here in forming me into his image. Do we see that? Because that's what, that's what God wants. God wants to, to make us like himself and he's doing that. But you can't have neither and you can't have both. You know, choose for your, for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Joshua said, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serve. What does that mean? He's master. Right? You will either serve God or sin. And the fruit of that is either life or death. And that's it. God has given, but God in Christ has given, he's broken the tyranny of sin. You are dead to sin, as we talked about last week. So you are no longer forced into the rule and the tyranny of sin. You now have the the choice. You have the ability. You have the power through the Holy Spirit to choose life. And you're called to that. Verse 16 continues. Do you not know? See, look, here's the thing. God Paul saying, and later on in the same passage, he says, we do know something. Do we know something? Yes. He's trying to remind us. It's a statement of, don't you know this? Don't you remember that if you present, this word in the Greek means offer or worship. Okay, so like when we live our lives, we're called to be living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship, Romans 12, 1 says. So it says, if you present yourselves to anyone as, as obedient slaves, you are a slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin, 
which leads to what? Death or of obedience, a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So so we're either slaves to sins, sin or slave to obedience. And please understand, as I mentioned last week, just because God has purchased us in Christ and we we're planted with the Holy Spirit and sealed with God's love and mercy and God's spirit, it doesn't mean that we won't want to sin. It doesn't mean that we won't be tempted by sin. I mean, that's not rocket science for anybody that's been in the faith. We know that, right? But we've been given the glorious privilege to choose righteousness. And we've been given the power to do it if we just yield and submit to it. The moment we endeavor to want God's way instead of our own. I mean, look at look at Jesus' modeling of this in the garden. But not my will, Lord. Your will be done. I mean, look at the submission to God's spirit. Look at the way of, I mean, yielding to the Father's will. That's that's what we're called to do. And in the most painful, in the most difficult, in the most hard, it says he sweat, his sweat was like tears of blood. I mean, the most heart-wrenching moments that we submit to God's will, because why? Because we know it's not only best, it's perfect. And it's ideal. And, and we don't get that because we don't have, we don't have a, a long-term vision over our lives. We don't know what the implications of these choices will be. And let's remember this. We don't ever sin in secret. It doesn't happen. And our sin is never just against us. It affects everyone. Every time we sin, we sin against everyone we love. And as, as, as uh, David said in Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So God is the first one that's, that, 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 that knows and feels. And yet his posture of love is not diminished. Our, 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 our status in Christ is never diminished. Our adoption is never in question. Man, d- d- does that just not bathe you in grace? We are all a slave of something or someone. We, like the Israelites, offer ourselves to something or someone all the time. And, and God is beckoning us to offer our lives to him. Look, I, let me just caution you about something. I've seen in marriages that the master of, of, of one spouse is the other spouse. Look, that's not going to work, Right? Like, or listen, no other master will work at all. God is the most, he's the only master that will cause us to grow and become. But then what happens is then we love others through that, through that godly leadership, through that, through, through him being master and Lord of our lives. Because that's his, that's his will. Isn't that awesome? You know what my will is? That you love one another. I mean, and, and so what happens is we leave a trail of, of life. We leave a trail of liberty. We leave a trail of hope. We live, leave a trail of, of, of love and, and, and oh, healing with those that we experience because the truth liberates. So I got a question that I just want you to ponder for 10 seconds. Who or what are you serving? Just think about that. Who or what? Are you ser- what are you seeking after? What are you, what are you sacrificing to? Who or what are you serving? In her book, um, Becky Pipper uh, writes, uh, it's, it's, the book's called Out of the Salt Shaker. And she writes this, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. 
We are controlled by the God of our lives. Wow. We offer ourselves to whatever we ultimately seek and we become its slave. That is the statement of this passage. We were created to worship and we will serve someone or something. We will. That's, that's, that's by design. That's, but God is calling us to worship him. Even the rocks will cry out. Verse 17 and 18 continue, but thanks be to God. That is, that is one of the most profound statements in this passage is that, but for the glory of God, because of the glory of God, because of the goodness and grace and mercy of God, but thanks be to God that you who were once, don't you love that it's spoken of in past tense? You who were once slaves of sin. And let me, let me remind us that that's by nature. We were born into slavery to sin, born into this condition. And God has rescued and ransomed us from this captivity, from this, from this tyranny. But it says, uh, we were once slaves of sin, have become obedient, have become, it's a process of God's sanctifying work, from the heart. In other words, wholeheartedly, from the heart. It's a, it's a sincere conversion where, and it, and it helps us understand what were the tools were, to the standards of teaching, the gospel to which you were committed, and then listen to verse, verse, verse 18 says, having been set free from sin, again, past tense, reminding us of what the, the, the cause of Christ has accomplished on our behalf, having become slaves of righteousness. Man, you know, we don't, we don't like the thought of someone saying we're a slave to anything. And you know why? Because we love control. We love to be in control of our lives. We love to be able to call the shots. But you know that if we call the shots of our own life, we make bad choices. Anybody testify to that? We make destructive decisions. Why? Because the the enemy has an ally within us, and it's called our sin nature. And so we need an outside source that is powerful and effective to liberate us and then to call us to radical obedience. And that's what God's Spirit's doing. And that's what God's Word does. It liberates us from our own faults and failures and our own propensity and conditioning because many of us don't come to Christ when uh, we're born in the hospital, right? I mean, there's conditioning of 10, 15, 18, 20, 30 years that God is, it does this sanctifying work of unrooting, you know, addictions and bad behaviors. And, and by His Spirit, He liberates us from those things as we, as we yield to Him. So, there are two categories, slave to sin or slave to obedience. That's what the passage is telling us. And it tells us what it leads to. It leads to righteousness. It leads to godliness and holiness. See, one leads to death and the other one leads to life. Dr. Tim Keller said this, a Christian does not have to obey the Ten Commandments to be saved. Right? Right? We submit by faith. It's not by works. It's a, it's a work that God has done in Christ and we are partakers because of his glorious grace. But he goes on to say, but a Christian does have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be free. If you don't obey the law of God, you become a slave to selfishness and sin. See, like there, there is God's revealed will for our lives. Sure, 
Sure, the, uh, the law of, of the sacrificial system has been satisfied. Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law to fulfill it. But there is God's revealed will for our lives. It's still something that God desires from us. But he's empowered us to do that by his spirit. And his spirit is beckoning us to, uh, to submit to his word and his will. Verse 19 continues, I am speaking in human terms. In other words, I'm using an illustration to try to unpack again, yet again, another facet of God's, God's way and God's will. Because your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, parts of your body, as slaves to impurities and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, in other words, to decay, and death. Don't, don't we know that, that the more we partake of sin, the more destruction and the more, the more we feel the, the, the shame and the guilt and it just kind of perpetuates itself? I mean, we see the decay. We see the, the end result. I mean, if we have enough life behind us, we understand that planting sinful choices will yield death and decay. So now present. This is, this is, uh, that's who we were. This is who we are in Christ. So now present your, your members, parts of your body, your mind, your heart, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your mouths, especially yields. Put them under the, under the, under the authority of God. Like God go, look, man, I, I've, I, I, uh, in Job, there's a passage that we did a whole conference on one time and it talks about, I've made a covenant with my mouth. I know oh, a covenant with my eyes that I might not look on anything that I believe is unholy. Um, here's, here's the thing. Like, we need to put our eyes, our hands, our hearts, our minds, our, our, our feet under the, submitted under the banner of God's sovereignty. Like, like, I want these things to be a slave to you, Lord. I want these things to serve you and to honor you in the way that I live, that I will not... Use those things. And God, God will empower us because that can be a battle at times. And we're going to talk about that in the next chapter for sure. But it, he goes on to say, for once, uh, as you, uh, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. And listen to what this says, leading to sanctification, holiness. Holiness, a process of holiness. Like, here's the good news. The more we submit to the Lordship of Christ, the more we submit to the sovereignty of God, um, the more we see ourselves in the most privileged way as being his servants. Well done, good and faithful. Like, being his servants. Like, the more, just as, the more sanctified we become. And that's, that's what God's Spirit is doing. That's what he's up to. So, a couple of thoughts here. The things we serve are seeking to work out their will in the world through us. The things we serve are seeking to work out their will through us. So if we're, if we're serving sin, when, when sin is being served, like the will, I mean, how many times have we asked, like, oh, look at the, look at the horrible things that are going on in the world? Well, that's under the tyranny of sin. And it, and it continues to destroy. But for those that have been purchased by the blood of Christ, the, the elect, those that have, that God has chosen and shared his love with and purchased for his glory, like the, we are the ones that have the privilege to be the lights of the world and the salts of the earth. We're the ones that get to preserve the good name of Christ and to continue to reflect his love. And that sanctifies us. And that's a progressing process. 
Never, and here's, don't forget this, never forget, let never, let's never forget, I should have wrote, let's never forget that we have been set free from sin. Like verse 18, we have been, let's not ever forget that, that we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been empowered by his spirit to serve God with our bodies, not sin. Sin's power over us, good news this morning, guys, has been broken. It's been broken. And when we are saved, we declare Jesus Lord, Master. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like, that's not just a statement that kind of, okay, I got that base covered. That, that is a, that, that becomes the present reality of our life. The declaration of our heart, that becomes, that, that becomes who we serve. And ultimately, we serve others as an expression of that. So the one who loves us and isn't trying to destroy us, that's the sovereign God we serve. That's his objective. That's his heart. Verse 20 says, For when we were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to, in other words, from the control of righteousness. So, you know, what is that saying? Being a slave to sin doesn't bring freedom, but only from the control of righteousness. So now the fruits of the Spirit are not evident in our lives because our, we're controlled by a nature that is looking to destroy us and to use us as instruments of destruction. But God has the action, the antonym of that is God's objective. God longs to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is what God, God it says the fruit of the Spirit longs to produce through our lives. Verse 21 goes on just to capitalize on that. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed of? See, we have a vision for, we have a perspective on those things and we, and we have shame about those. And the question is asked in retrospect, what, what benefit were they? What benefit were the, was the fruit of a sinful life? You know, and we, so now we have a perspective on those things being destructive, not only in our life, but through our lives. And so that, that is a, that's an incredible motivator to submit ourselves to God. So the answer is, for the end of those things is death. And the ultimate end of that is separation from God, is what death is expressing there. So here's a question or a statement. Anything you worship other than God promises plenty but delivers, delivers worse than nothing. Man, he, think, think about where we started. Remember in Matthew chapter 4? You know, worship me and I'll, I'll give you all of this. Right? He makes a ton of promises and never delivers. In fact, I like the statement, it's worse than nothing. Because you're worse off than you were before and you got nothing for it. Man, if we, if we, if we uh, acknowledge that in the moment of temptation, we run to righteousness. We run to obedience. We, we run to holiness because we know that this is what God is hoping for in this moment. This is what the Spirit is empowering us to in this moment. But now that you have been set free, see, see now, I love how it talks in past tense and present reality, right? But now that you have been set free from sin. Anybody here been set free from sin? Like anybody liberated by the truth of the gospel? Like, and, and it is celebrating the fact that I am no longer under the tyranny of sin? And have become slaves of God. See, that, that is, 
especially the, the American culture or the Western church, man, we don't want to be slaves to nothing, right? But do we know the joy? Do we know that, that that's God's objective, that, you know, choose for yourself this day in whom you will, right? I mean, I want, I, I want to be a slave to my God, right? Because that's what forms and fashions me. I'm gonna, we're going to read something in just a moment, blow your mind. Verse 23, I hope after this morning's message, I hope after this, this message that, that, that uh, Romans 6.23 is, is, is completely and forever changed for you. Because everything that we just talked about is summarized in, in this final statement. And let me finish verse 22 first. The fruit you get, okay, so back, back it up. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. In other words, God's process of making you holy and its end, eternal life. Like, look, guys, God has promised this. He is faithful. Like, he's batting a thousand. Like, this is what he's promised to do. And let me, let me say this. The, the moment when temptation comes, the hardest choice is going to be to submit to God. I mean, the easiest choice is to give in to the flesh and to give in to conditioning. And, and that's not, we've not been relieved of that as we'll talk about in chapter seven. But we've been given an opportunity not to choose the apple anymore if it was an apple. Does that make sense? To, to just honor God's word just because he says so. And just because he's God. And because we've declared him Lord. Listen, we can say all day long, I confess you as Lord. But our lives will testify to the truth of that statement. Does that make sense? And, and, and that is, that is compelling. That is challenging. That is liberating. And we, not if, but when those temptations, because it says the devil left him for another opportune time. Right? The, the enemy loves to strike at the Achilles heel. He loves to strike when things, when, when we're weak, when we have established a foothold and we have a very weak moment. He loves to interject, hey, how about we do this? No, I'm a slave to God. I'm a puppet for the glory of God. I will be a robot for him. I will submit my will to, I will be crucified with Christ that I no longer live. I will deny myself, take up the cross and die daily to that because that's not going to form me. I'm never going to be a witness to others. That's never going to be a blessing. I'm never going to leave a legacy of, of holiness if I choose this. My children will suffer. My friends will suffer. My wife, my husband, everybody else will suffer too because we don't sin in a vacuum. But that's not the greatest motivator. The greatest motivator is this. It's a gratitude as we look at the cross and it demonstrates how loved we are, that we, we do it out of just love. Trevor brought this up in our, in our class. Like, you don't have to tell a couple that are deeply, deeply in love to serve one another. You don't, right? When you're deeply in love with somebody, serving them is your greatest joy. And that's, that's the relationship that God wants to have. It's not about a religion. It's about having this vibrant relationship with a living God that, that, that is motivated out of gratitude and love. And so the verse, this section ends with this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, let's not miss that, that, that a wage is something that, that we receive because of things that have been done. But when it comes to our salvation, it's a gift. It's a gift. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so how do we, how do we really understand that? Sin pays out what we deserve and our work for Him, work for sin or for, for the enemy. 
On the other side, slavery to God leads to eternal life. The worship team's going to come. And I've asked Trina if she would read. Um, Sheba and I have been reading this book uh, called Anything. And basically the premise of the book, um, this young lady writes, uh, her name is Janine Allen, I believe. Um, she, the premise of the book is, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Uh, I, I, I like a fully submitted life. And so, Trina, if you would come, I, I just took a section out of chapter eight of this book, and I just really want you to get a picture this morning of what this life that is submitted to the Lord, that is a slave to righteousness, a radical slave to God, to, to obedience, what that possibly might look like. Trina, thank you.